Hey everybody, it's Andy here. This is our year-end special, and I just wanted to let you know that we gave ourselves a little treat, and we're going to be cussing in this one, so normally there are no swear words on the podcast. If you got children out there listening, little baby cube designers, just know that this one's going to have some salty language. It's our year-end, year-interview episode for Lucky Paper Radio. I'm Andy, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Anthony. Actually, I'll just do all the cooking, Maddox. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Yes, I will just do all the cooking. Just bring wine. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, respect. <laughs> I, I get the sense that you and Christine like looked at the idea of this like Seven Fishes feast, and you were like, uh-huh. yeah, we could do a potluck. And then yeah. you were like, actually... You know, yeah. if we did that, people would just bring, like, bad food. So let's just not do no, that. No, <laughs> no. We have friends that are great cooks. It's just it's just also, you know, seafood doesn't is, is difficult to uh, transport yeah, in okay. a lot of cases. Like, good um, excuse, good excuse. Yeah. It's okay. I'm comfortable with you making all the food. Great. You can just be transparent about it and be like, I will make better fish than Andy will. So. That's, I mean, that's not what I'm saying. It's not it's not what you're saying. I'm gonna go home after recording this podcast. I'm gonna make a loaf of bread. I'm gonna make a bunch of pasta. Uh, make a soup base for a stew. Yeah, seven's and... a lot. What are you making ahead of time? Like, what can you pre? Okay, so what I'm making is I'm bread and pasta. <laughs> uh, I mean, specifically of the specifically seven fishes. Of the seven. Fishes. How many of the seven fishes will be like? Prepared and ready to go, either like cold prepared or a soup or something. You can just kind of like leave on um, the stove. I do not have my menu up Versus here. Versus need oh, to no, be never like... Never mind, I know. do have my menu up here. <laughs> Pickled shrimp is done. Caesar salad. Pickled shrimp? Pickled shrimp. Apparently, wow. We'll find out. Uh, Caesar salad will have anchovy okay, in the dressing. Sure. That dressing is going to be made ahead. So it's Count just, it. It's just going to be a lot of assembly at last minute. Pasta with anchovies. That's also going to be mostly done in advance. So the same fish? <sighs> just asking didn't think anyone would notice uh fish and mussel stew which is going to be mostly prep ahead and just have to sort of steam everything real quick mm-hmm, right before mm-hmm, serving mm-hmm. a pastry wrapped salmon that's, that's gonna be tomorrow that's i think that's seven. Oh, you know what there's some extra fish in there <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that there's however many i didn't say that's how many extras fish. there are just like in there floating yeah, around. yeah yeah well i'm excited it's gonna be a great meal and uh yeah i think you know Potlucks are great, but I think you do reach an age where you're like, I'll just host my friends for a meal, and then yeah. they'll host me for a meal on another day. Another friend of ours is making a tablescape. I don't know if you want to talk about the tablescape. We should talk about the tablescape. I mean, I don't know anything about the tablescape. I was say, have you been coordinating at all with uh, with the tablescape designer? Slightly. Uh-huh. Okay. She was like, do you have a bag she was of sand? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about that. We said, tablescape? No sand, no glitter. <laughs> <laughs> no glitter is a good rule. That's a good rule. A good rule for pretty there much There needs to be space everything. on the table for food she's she's on, on board with that and uh was there another rule she asked about placemats and she said nope i'll bring a tablecloth does she know how big the table is no but i mean if she's only fine. got if she's only got a tablecloth that she's intending to yeah. bring what's she gonna uh-huh. do yeah she can't make it bigger if your table's bigger yep. so i can't wait it's gonna be great great but that's for later anthony for now we are talking about the year in review we do this episode every year uh, kind of started extemporaneously. We didn't like start with the plan of like doing a like year in review episode. We just kind of ended up doing it naturally one year, and people really liked it. This is also, I think, the one episode of the year that at least I will allow myself to uh, to be a little negative. You know, 
Okay, so I'm glad we're starting here because I feel like I end up saying this a lot that we we try not to be too negative and then we end up being a little bit negative and I don't, I don't actually know how much we are do that. that negative. I mean, like we are, I think, generally critical sometimes. Okay, but I think that's different than negative. It's like sure. So what I would say, I think I want to be on this episode is is candid and transparent about where I am in my magic journey as a wizard. As a wizard. Yeah, I, I don't think we are negative in the sense that, like, some content is, like, capitalizing on basically, like, complaining for a living. Like, we don't do that. Sure. We will definitely... In we a don't make review, a living off of our complaining. Well, for sure. That's, that's one reason. I mean, we will definitely point out when specific mechanics, you know, we think are not great for cube design reasons or have complexity. Like, we, we will not shy away from saying something that could be perceived as negative, but it is definitely not the main thing we do. I mean transparently behind the scenes we just plan the episodes based on things we want to talk about so if there's something going on in magic that we don't like we just don't talk about it because there's plenty of stuff going on in magic that we are interested in that does uh, draw our attention that we think is fun and good and so we just focus on that instead but you know i think when it comes to taking a holistic look of the year it would be negligent to over just not talk about things that we didn't like or that uh we Mm -hmm. think were bad for the game so anyway this is your first episode of the show. This is not what we normally do. Normally, we are just talking about stuff we like about magic and community building and how to make the game what we want it to be. But now we got to talk about the year in review. And I got to be honest, Anthony, looking at this whole year in review, not a lot of good stuff, I would say, to talk about. Let's start with the good stuff, right? Like, KubeCon 2 happened. That is a great point. And I think that actually, that's just... I feel lame using this metaphor, but the tip of the iceberg, it's, it's KubeCon is really indicative of a bigger, just, just sort of groundswell of Cube stuff that's happening, which is awesome. I mean, Cube has for, I mean, let's say like the last four years, is that safe, been the way that we've engaged most of the game, and it's been fun all through that time, and it's even more fun that the community is getting a lot bigger. I feel like a lot of our journey playing Cube, it's taken... A little bit of work to make Cube happen. You know, people at the LGS weren't necessarily familiar. It was hard to get people to step away from their commander pods and jump into a Cube draft. And I feel like it's just getting easier and easier. We did an episode at some point sort of talking about how to get a Cube group started in your local area. And I feel like increasingly that episode is just becoming irrelevant because there already is a cube group in a lot of areas. So if you just find the right Discord, find the right channel in your LGS, that might already be there. And I think maybe in another year or two, that will just be a totally relevant episode, which is really exciting to me. That's a really nice thought. I don't think that's the case still. I, okay. I still think <laughs> most people in most cities are struggling yeah, to make in, this in happen. in a year, I said. We got one more year. We got that trajectory. I mean, what I have seen, right, is uh, in the wake of the second KubeCon, the group of Madison cube designers have really amped up their like local play group. I-, I like to think they were somewhat inspired by what we do in Baltimore and like how successful we've been and just saying like, hey, we're going to get together and like do the same kind of thing. They've literally challenged us in many ways. So yep. I think that that they, counts. They are looking at the number of people that show up to our cube <laughs> night and seeing if their number is higher <laughs> most weeks. So, But it's, it's awesome to see all the excitement coming out of the Madison cube group. There's also been additional Cube events that happened. I mean, last year we also saw the California Cube Champs, which was organized by Joe Anderson, which I think was a direct result of the first KubeCon from a year ago. Joe just saying, I can do a similar thing at a smaller scale, and then running that in California. And then in the wake of... And it should be emphasized, he, an individual, would do all of the organizing and all of the work and drive a bunch of people and uh, organize food, and Joe's a force. Joe is definitely a force to be reckoned with, for sure. 
And in the wake of the second KubeCon, we also see the Washington Cube Chance popping up, organized by uh, Oinkinator, our friend in Washington, as well as a Ice Cube event in Milwaukee, which is you know tangential to the Madison crew. It's not the actual Madison crew organizing it, but it's actually Jeff, who is the owner of the Old Border Foil Cube. Uh, it's his LGS that's organizing the Ice Cube. You can go to both these events. Though honestly, by the time this episode comes out, Ice Cube might be sold out. <laughs> like I, I wanted to big it up on the show, and I still will big it up on the show just to tell people about it. But they had 64 slots, and uh, last I heard, they had six slots left. So run, don't walk if you uh, <laughs> if you want to attend the Ice Cube in Milwaukee, because yeah, their their tickets are going fast. So yeah, I, I do think we see more and more small enclaves of excited, engaged cube organizers and cube groups popping up, and I hope that just continues to grow and happen more and more. So that's great. That's a positive thing. KubeCon two was also positive. KubeCon two was great. I mean, it was I would say more than twice as good as the first KubeCon. It was literally twice as big in terms of number of attendees, but also, I mean, maybe more than anything, I'm just impressed with how well they fixed a lot of, or rounded out a lot of the, the challenges, made, you know, cube check-in so much easier, made check-in for players after their draft so much easier, you know, especially Gwen building on top of the custom software to allow people just to take photos of their, their pools was incredible like i don't yep. know how you manage no. that event in a way that would be as fun without having people that have that kind of technical expertise so it's it's just incredible that these people with all these sort of skill sets came together and i'm really looking forward to the next one because i i hope that some of the other side events uh, i got to be in a magic quiz show which was a ton of fun it wasn't super well attended but that's okay it'll be on youtube at some point and i'd love for those kinds of side events to get even more attention next year yeah i, I think a resounding success for KubeCon 2. I, I will say I did talk to a couple people that were like wary of the event continuing to double in size, let's mm -hmm. say, where they were like, this was still great. KubeCon 2 was fantastic, but there was something about the first year that was kind of lightning in a bottle that you can't capture again because yeah, it was a little more intimate and, you know, it's the first time meeting a lot of people that are right. part of this community you knew online, which is different than like going to an event where you know you're going to see people, which none of that is at all criticism of the KubeCon organizers or anything, right? Like, the event was fantastic. It was run without a hitch. No, that's just always how a second run is going to be. It's right. it's going to be different from, oh, my God, it's all these people I've seen on the internet and never interact with in person, to, hey, it's you guys again. Great to see you again. It's better in the sense that it's maybe more comfortable, more familiar, more you can go into it with more confidence. But you don't necessarily have that just initial enthusiasm for a thing, which, you know, you just that's not possible, so... Right. Fine. And I have nothing but love and respect for the KubeCon organizers, but honestly, I hope that it becomes less special over the over the coming years because there are more events that are yeah. just like it in different parts of the country. So if you want to attend a Cube event, you don't have to go to Madison. You can attend one that's in your local area, and we already see that popping up. So people have asked us if we're going to like try and organize one on the East Coast. And to be perfectly honest, I have a little bit of experience with event management, and I suck at it. It is not for me. It's so stressful. <laughs> I cannot do what the KubeCon organizers do and what Joe Anderson does. So uh, we would love to help support somebody organizing something on the East Coast. And if you uh, want to do that, get in touch. But that's not going to be something we're going to be doing. We're pretty good at websites. <laughs> we, we can help with that aspect. <laughs> I mean, I think that we have also demonstrated a great capacity for building a community. But there's mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff that goes into event management that, you know, we don't get paid for any of this. And that mm -hmm. is absolutely not what I would want to do with my unpaid time. So, yeah, yeah. But like I said, if you're in New York, D.C., Baltimore, Boston, Philadelphia, wherever, and uh, you're interested in running a Cube event on the East Coast and you need some help getting the word out or 
finding cubes from other cube designers to get the event populated, like, give us a shout. We are happy to support people in this effort, really anywhere. And, and you know, our friends Keldon in Washington and, uh, and Jeff and the whole crew in Milwaukee at the Mana Vault, we will give free advertising to any cube event that's going on uh, anywhere in the world. So if you're running a cube event that you want to get the word out about, just uh, hit us up at mail at luckypaper.co. We are happy to spread the word. I hope we get so many of those that it becomes a problem and I have to not do it for everybody. I hope that becomes a problem for us. That would be great. What else good happened this year in Magic Anthony? This is maybe just a little bit of a personal thing, but I feel like we're both creative people. And um, wow, thanks, we've, been, buddy. we've been working in doing websites transparently. That's what we do. And it's not always the most creatively fulfilling thing. And it's just, it's really hard to have like an artistic practice, to be honest, as a person that has a day job and you're done with your day job and you just want to cook an elaborate meal for yourself. I mean, and that's <laughs> an artistic practice. That's true. Hot take. I will I will give myself respect for that. But I, I think this year, especially both of us have found opportunities through all this cube stuff just to do a lot of kind of creative stuff. I mean, I'm looking at a couple different custom play mats that you've been working on designing not to give too much away so you can edit this, obviously. Oh, no. I mean, they're here. I just... We don't have the final prototype yet, so yeah. I can't take a picture These of it. These things take a lot, of, a lot of work. Um, and I designed some custom cube emblems for my cubes at KubeCon and been working on some flyers and things for some little events. And it's You built a great website for our local playgroup, oh, too, yeah. which That's I, a, I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show because it's, it's not it's really meant for, for anybody us. except for uh, local people. I'm not even sure I'll mention the URL. See if you can find it. That'll be a fun a funny adventure for you. But if you're a person starting your own lo- local cube group, you can find the source code on GitHub if you want to just grab that. Yeah, so I mean, it's been fun to have this as a hobby that has given us a lot of opportunities for just little concrete creative things that we can do, which makes it a lot easier to channel that kind of stuff that we're interested in and have fun doing. That's otherwise really difficult to have an excuse to do as adults. Yeah, it's it's stupid how as you get older, it's so much more work than it should be to like prioritize the things that are important to you. But it is. It's like you know, I value making art. It's like, okay, well, go do it. Uh, uh, what, what do I do? How, <laughs> what do do? How do do that? Like, you need, you need to, like, carve out space. I mean, it's dumb, but, uh, like, I obviously... We but it's were, not dumb. No, I I'm mean... I'm gonna call it dumb when it's when it's me, but for you, it's not <laughs> dumb. <laughs> what, what I was gonna say is that, you know, I see you every day. We work together. There's there's no question that, like, you're a big part of my life and will, and will be for the foreseeable future. I have some other podcasts I do with friends and I literally do the podcast so I can have an excuse to talk to my Mm -hmm. friend. Right. And that is actually kind of how this started during the pandemic when we didn't get to see each other. We weren't playing magic. It was like, let's make some, I mean, we could just, I could just call you up on FaceTime and talk about magic whenever I wanted, Mm -hmm. but realistically we're just not going to do that unless we have some sort of dumb construct, some dumb like social excuse to like do the thing. So I think that having like shared obligations with each other around the things you enjoy is a great way to like, actually prioritize the things you value and yeah the dumb website it's a nice way to be like hey there's a thing we should do together that Mm -hmm. is the thing we value that gives us some sense of like external accountability and responsibility that means we actually will do the thing instead of just playing video games or whatever all yeah i almost always write the articles that i give myself the accountability for on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i mean you you start writing all of them it's just whether you get to a point where you're happy enough to publish them yeah yeah I've I've learned I've learned thing. about myself the the ones that seem easy that are just like oh I'll just do some like data analysis that's easy and then I'll string together a narrative those turn out to be way harder to write than the ones that I just have a narrative I'm really excited about getting into. Yes, if it's an article that you like plan from an editorial mm-hmm. perspective, like here's an article that should exist, mm-hmm. like we should write this. 
that's and they're impossible to write as opposed right. to the thing that you just naturally like, have here's to an idea what if i write two paragraphs about this for something oh wait i just wrote oh no no oh, no no no, 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 no. it's getting bigger it's like one of those little dinosaur pills you put in the bathtub <laughs> ah! but it's just your brain and why is it so slimy oh, God, it's so slippery <laughs> So yeah, and I mean, similarly, I was actually just thinking about this more broadly about magic. It's it's kind of funny how so many things that feel like flaws about the way magic was designed end up being real assets to it. And one of those is the fact that the game has these token objects that don't come in the, the game. Like, if you were designing a game from scratch in 2023, the idea that you were just going to say, make a token, you know, pick up a coin or a bit of pocket lint or a glass bead to represent something in the game is insane. Like, everything's got to be in the box and you got to have your game be complete, right? And it is in modern magic. They print all the tokens And it now. is in modern magic. But people but might forget they didn't initially. Like, yeah, the, they literally one of the were just jokes like, figured in, out. One of the jokes in Unglued was that they printed tokens. Mm-hmm. Haha, isn't that so funny? And then they were like, wait a minute, that's not funny. That makes sense. <laughs> Let's just do that. Yeah, but it's become such a, a an asset to have this weird little creative space carved out where people can make tokens and i have sitting on my desk this little pile of a hand-drawn sapperling token that dsb drew for me and the squirrel tokens that john terrell made of me for cubecon uh, as well as from a bunch of the other special guests there and the cultic cube tokens and a bunch of other just little things that have become this collection again of just small bits of creative output that magic has given a space for and if magic was better designed in the sense of being more complete and polished and from the beginning tokens rose part of it and that sort of expectation of this is a thing you're allowed to customize and make yourself wasn't there it would not actually be as good of a tool for that kind of community self-expression and community building as it is so it's like i think it's really interesting that some of the rough edges of magic have actually turned out to be assets i think a lot of that is due to people working hard to make them assets right Mm -hmm. like people are really invested in this game and something you do when you're really invested in something is try and take the flaws and make them work for you somehow and i think it's largely a credit to the fans that have made it something interesting and worthwhile well anything else good nope (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean broadly speaking the game of magic has grown a lot over the past year So, ostensibly, as people that care about magic, and you and I have both gone on record, and I think it's obvious that we want more people to get into playing magic. We love this game and want it to be available to more and more people and accessible to more people, and the more that it grows, the bigger and better it can be. And magic has continued to grow this year, like, just hand over fist, just continue to grow and grow and grow, which is what... You want, right? Line go up. In lots of concrete ways. Uh, They've made a lot more money, which is great for them to be able to make more magic and they've made a ton more products i would actually like to rerun this graph and see just the number of unique cards that have designed like the literal amount of creative effort that has gone into making magic cards the last couple years has just spiked in an insane way and i suspect this last year just continued to go up in this crazy hockey stick yeah i mean you say that uh you know they've keep making more money which is great because they can use to make more cards and keep making the product but that's not what they're doing mm-hmm. uh just you know that is the optimistic take <laughs> just a couple weeks ago they just fired 1100 people a fifth of their workforce yeah uh, i mean we should say that was all of hasbro and a chunk of that was in wizards of the coast but i don't know specifically the numbers of Has- hasbro at large versus wizards they are not actually they have not publicly said that much they've only said how many people were fired from hasbro at large but a ton of people anecdotally that like yeah. we just people we know. know yeah people we know and people that i've seen on twitter like tons of people on the D fifth edition team tons of people on the magic team 
just fired two weeks before the holidays. The and timing is an incredible bummer. That's that's the nicest way you can put it. Uh, an incredible bummer is a nice way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I I think it has to be intentional because it is contemporaneous with a bunch of new product being released. But honestly, like there's new product being released every other week. So to say that yeah, that's a that reason doesn't, that doesn't really compel like me. the fact that we're looking at the Ravnica whatever previews and you know, but I, I did notice that the day that it was announced, if you went to the Magic subreddit, the top of the subreddit was just. All of the new cards people sure. are most excited for, okay, and I so was like, "Hmm, interesting." Announcing this How at a, for them? on a specific day that was otherwise going to be newsful. Yeah, but I do think that doing it right before the end of the year, right, like uh, the way that a lot of corporate bonuses are calculated, is you take your projected expenses and your like you know available cash on hand, and you dole out bonuses based on that. And if you just reduce your projected expenses by oh I don't know eleven hundred people, mm-hmm. um, that does in fact change the the bonuses for corporate people. It also makes a big impact on like your fourth quarter reporting which is what they're going to be doing by the end of the year yeah i'm by no means a financial expert the second one of those two seems more compelling to me as far as uh if i'm trying to construct a a narrative that is a little bit insidious it sucks and it's worth noting like hasbro is a publicly traded company you can go look at their earnings reports because that's what you have to be able to do for all publicly traded companies and Wizards of the Coast is more or less the only profitable part of Hasbro. They had a like operating profit margin between like 40 and 50% last year. So, you know, their operating costs were like $200 million over the quarter and they made over $40 million for Hasbro over the over quarter 3, which is the last the last quarter we have numbers for. And if you look at the other parts of Hasbro, like consumer products, like barely made some money, like way more revenue, but also way, way, way more operating costs. And then whatever they call the entertainment chunk of Hasbro just loses hundreds of millions of dollars every single quarter. I don't even know what that accounts for. Uh, but I was going to guess, is that like licensing and things? But that seems like the m- Licensing the should have like no, to... no overhead, more or less. Uh, I don't think so. I don't actually know. I'm sure I could dig in deeper to it. But the point is that like if you look at these numbers, it's very clear that like Wizards of the Coast is propping up Hasbro. Yeah. And to then take a company that was hugely successful in the past year and the past quarter, just made a big pile of money for Hasbro and all of its stakeholders, and then still fire a bunch of people that are... And I mean, I know that like some prominent people were fired, right? Like Paul Chiam was fired. Uh, David McDarby was laid off. Like People that they knew letting go of this person that has tens of thousands of followers on Twitter is going to like have a blowback. And those are the ones we know about. I can only imagine how many other people that just don't have a Twitter presence that mm-hmm. are working on these products that we just don't know about. Uh, we're also including those layoffs, right? Like it's having a big impact. It seems like, especially a big impact on D and D, which I actually don't know all that much about. But uh, it seems like some of the like the higher ups at like D and D were also just laid off. So this comes back to a point we've made like multiple times on this show, which is that you know we love this game, and I am very grateful to all the creative people that make it happen. But zero percent of that ever translates to any affection of any kind for the company, the organization that is responsible for putting out this product, because companies do not care for you. They don't, they don't care about you at all. They don't care about you as a customer. They don't care about you as an employee. All they care about is maximizing profits. And this is like the starkest example of that we have seen in our entire time being interested in this game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it is too cliche a re- refrain just to be like, oh, boo, capitalism is ruining everything. But... I think that the, the, it's the, cliche because it's right, though. The, well, the core element that I think is worth focusing on is in 
the way that capitalism is panning out in our society, and specifically the way investor-backed corporations work, is it is not acceptable or sufficient to say, we are just a business and we are doing okay. We are making a product and we are consistently making the same profit and we are surviving and giving value to the people that actually engage with their product. That's not acceptable. To investors, they make nothing if that's if things are just sustainable and working. They only make a profit if things are actually accelerating and changing. Line got and, go up. And if one line is going up, some other line is going down, like the entire system of investment requires there to be turbulence in the system for them to extract wealth from it. And that's a bummer. That means we just can't have a situation where creative people are allowed to just do good work in a consistent way. They have to be in the system of growth mindset. And ultimately, that doesn't serve us to have a good and just society. I mean, that's that's a little bit of a bigger thing to say when we're talking about a game company, but well, it, it touches on, like, all, all of our society is that way, and yeah, I mean, learn about Enron. It's so fucked up. <laughs> Enron's really messed up. Oh, I think we should also, we should swear on this episode. I'll put a warning okay, before great. it. Okay, great. I, I think it's good to... Fuck you, Enron. <laughs> ...let up a little steam at Enron. No, I mean, I, I agree completely, and I'll take it a step further. I think there's a lot of people that are... Free market apologists that are like, well, sure, maybe it's like not great for like individual humans, right? But look, <laughs> great. Okay, look, I love where this is going. Look, some people have this take where they're like, but it's like it's good for the game because obviously the investors want the game to continue to grow, so they'll do whatever it's going to take to like make mm-hmm. the game be more successful. And this to me is clear evidence that they do not care about the long term health of the game, right? What they care about is that these 1,100 people, or whatever chunk of that 1,100 people, made magic cards, made D&D stuff. They made their creative product, and now it's a thing they can go sell. Yeah. And so they still own all the work that all these people did for them over those years, and they're not thinking about Wizards of the Coast and the health of Magic the Gathering in five or ten years. They're thinking about profits this year and next year. And yeah. their attitude has been and will always be, if every year we try to optimize profits for the next year, we will just line keep going up, right? That is exactly how all these things work. So there's no way you can make an argument that firing any number of people from the only successful portion of your business that is like holding up this entire billion dollar company is good for like the health of the game. Like that's just, there's no argument there that makes sense except this like maximizing short-term profits argument, which has nothing to do with making magic successful in the long run. I mean, I would also say just to to push the blame even a little bit more abstractly, because we live in the society where that is the way things work, that is the way our values are, it is really difficult or impossible to run a thing in this sort of sustainable, we just do good work at a consistent clip, because you're just going to be outpaced by people that are focusing on maximizing the profits. So it it is the entire system that doesn't support doing things in sustainable ways. Yes, I agree broadly. I do think that with the internet and the like widespread fracturing and the like the many smaller operations doing like a, a little small thing, there are actually way more examples now of people just like doing a small thing sustainably than there are there were prior to like the internet being a thing basically. I don't think we should talk about the internet. I'll get really bleak. <laughs> well, I want to talk about a little Okay, fine. This H-Bomber Guy video has been on my mind. H-Bomber Guy is a video essayist that I really love, and he found, like, success in a relatively small community, right? Like, if you look at, like, the big, you know, all-star YouTubers, like, he's not in that con- he's not in that conversation. He's got, like, a million subscribers instead of 100 million subscribers, right? Like, he's got enough that he can, like, make a living making video essays, which is amazing, uh, but it's just, like, him and, like, one producer and, like, writer, and he just, like, makes these essays kind of as he wants, And over the years, his essays have gotten, like, longer and longer and, like, further time between them. 
And his most recent one is about plagiarism. And small, I guess, spoilers for this literally four-hour video essay, but... Four hours? It's four hours, and... Okay, so I'm not going to go home and watch this after this record. <laughs> I, I thought about recommending it to you, but you would find it extremely depressing. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure I will. But here's the thing. It, small spoilers for this four-hour video essay if you want to be entirely surprised by, like, any twist that Harris includes in this video. But it's talking about plagiarism, mostly on YouTube, and how many YouTube channels that are huge and very successful... Basically, just like take a topic, Google it, and then like read an article from that somebody else wrote, just copy and paste it into their script, just read it, and like apply some visuals to it, and then like churn out videos this way. Uh, and there's tons of people that have done this, and it ends up being largely about this one specific video creator who makes videos about like gay media and culture mm-hmm. who has just been for his entire career like wholeheartedly like ripping off a bunch of other gay and queer people that have been writing articles uh, and like books and things and just giving no credit and like making a ton of money on the backs of all these people. And it ends up being like a kind of a big takedown of this guy and this guy like completely deleted his channel and is like gone from the planet because Harris okay. did this. So it's it's largely about, uh, and he touches very slightly on AI, but the whole thing I was thinking the entire time was like, this is a process that people have been doing for a long yes. time. And this is the perfect thing for AI to do slightly more efficiently or massively more efficiently and it's the kind of thing that we're going to see ai actually this is the impact we're going to see of ai yeah. in the world is that there's going to be so much easier for you to make a channel where you just spit out 200 videos of all the top articles on cracked or whatever uh and you just like have an ai voice read a script and you like put some stock footage behind it yeah i mean we're going a little deep and off topic this, here but i don't think this is off topic at all but keep going perfect i've had conversations with some people about ai and I, I just come out pretty negative and people especially people that are in the technology and and see the the potential for really good that it can do or just the enthusiasm for how effective the technology can be at accomplishing their goals i get people being and excited about technology everybody being excited about technology in that way but what i'm really frustrated by and why i am so negative about this kind of technology is because it's it's not going to do that it's just going to exacerbate problems that are or really negative systems that i already see in place i'm embarrassed but i, I bought something on amazon uh, last week and shopping on don't, amazon don't be embarrassed like i look, couldn't it was like four times expensive direct from yeah, the producer i didn't know what was going on don't, don't just <laughs> you are not individually responsible for amazon being profitable both can be true uh <laughs> but it's it's just such a nightmare buying stuff on amazon because there were a hundred different sellers with the same product and all of the product photos are put together from clip art it's not an, a real product photo so they don't actually serve the purpose of me understanding the scale of it or making sure i'm buying the particular uh, sku i'm trying to buy so it matches with other things and that's just sort of like melange of cut and paste crappy rebroadcast drop shipped horribleness that just makes these systems kind of dysfunctional that's AI, baby that is what ai is going to do so ai it's is, is doing just it. it's just gonna make everything worse and yes the technology could do great things but that's not what's going to be profitable and it just I don't know I just I mean Ryan Sachs posted something and he was like look at this saxophone solo that the AI produced isn't this incredible and I'm like Ryan I'm not gonna I'm not gonna engage with this because we're we're not gonna have a positive interaction but it's like yes the technology's cool this saxophone solo might be good it might be good decoration but this isn't the world that i want to live in like there's no opportunity for artistic interaction where somebody hears the solo and somebody else builds off it and somebody else and there is proliferation of like real genuine human expression and communication and anything meaningful instead it's just 
the machines are making crap at each other. And some of the crap might look decorative. It might be sufficient ornamentation, but it is not art in any sense that I think is positive. Anyway, so fucking saxophone AI. Yeah, I agree that it's cool. Sorry, Ryan. That was, that was, you didn't know when you retweeted that tweet that I was sitting in my office just <laughs> dark little rain cloud. Dark. Yeah, look, I, I, I admire that Ryan can be optimistic about yeah. technology. I was because, there at one point in my life. Yeah, I mean, I, I was too. Like, I think we both came from a place of being excited about and wanting to engage with technology and just kind of you run up against the practicalities of the real world and the, Incentive structures in which all of these technologies are used. That's a great phrase, yeah. So yeah, I think largely this H Bomber Guy video would depress you, and maybe you shouldn't yeah, watch it. But here, I'll think about it. but here was the sort of positive I took away from it. The first thing was that it's very easy to think like, okay, AI is just going to ruin everything because it's going to engage with the world the way you described. And honestly, to me, it's kind of heartening to realize that like so many humans are already doing this, right? Like, it is not that this is a new way to engage with the world. Like, so many humans were already crappily making clip art images of products and whatever. And, like, yeah, we're probably looking at, like, an increase in scale, but, like, it's not a fundamental difference in, like, how information is going to be exchanged because these whole YouTube channels were just, like, just literally taking other existing video documentaries and, like, not bothering to edit out the watermark from the like channel they stole it from and just reposting it it is already happening all over the place and so that is a little bit heartening in a weird dark way but the more heartening thing is that in addition to this the name of this guy he's like makes half the video about is james summerton in addition to this james summerton guy just ripping off people to make you know hundreds of thousands probably a million dollars you know over the years he's been on youtube making a career for himself there's also harris h bomber guy who is this is now becoming very quickly his most popular video he's ever made. And he says in the video that he did this incredible amount of research, largely because he just got like obsessed with it. He like he was trying to make a video about plagiarism, found this one example on this guy's channel, and then went and found dozens and dozens and dozens of other more like obscene examples on this guy's channel and just like fell on the rabbit hole of like how bad can this possibly get? Like how much is this guy stolen? And that ends up being what half the video is about. He has this list of like dozens and dozens of queer creators this guy has stolen from and he's like i'm dividing all the money this video makes and giving it to as many of these people that i can get in contact with that will accept money from me because this man has been profiting for so long off of this stuff that this is the one thing i can do to like try and possibly like write a little bit with the world which also is really emblematic of harris being like he's got patrons that give him some number of thousand dollars a month he like lives modestly uh, you know he's like successful on his own terms and doesn't need to grow endlessly so he's like yeah, yeah. I can afford to just give his money away because I don't need a million dollars I can make this much money for my YouTube videos and be happy to do it he can individually independently choose a little bit to just not participate in that system right which I think there are more opportunities to on smaller individual levels choose to not participate in these broader systems that otherwise, dictate everything like you're saying you're saying like it's near impossible to like it's impossible to make a thing in this system without caving into those incentive structures and i actually think it is kind of possible to do now there's no actual you have to make the decision for non-financial reasons though right like it's not like he's gonna be rewarded i mean i'm sure some more people are gonna watch it because he's a good guy and like you know actually like doing good in the world but it's just that you can choose to like ethically check out and like kind of do your own thing and still find enough success to like get by and to me, that feels kind of similar to like what we're doing with cube design and our cube community in the broader magic world, right? Like, 
yes, Magic is not going to choose to do this. Wizards of the Coast is not going to choose to stop growing and just make sustainable products and be like, we have a great team of creative people. We can just churn out products year over year and continue to make them for the same audience of people that love our things and love what we do. They're not going to do that. They exist in this broader incentive structure and it's not possible. But our local playgroup and even something as big as like CubeCon or the Ice Cube or whatever, like this world I think can be sustainable without succumbing to all of these like dark capitalist incentives which i find to be a little bit inspiring and somewhat optimistic maybe and on that bombshell (laughs) should we talk about magic the gathering (sighs) i guess uh (laughs) okay well maybe we should start here let's just say clearly magic has changed fundamentally in a lot of ways since we started playing and for me, the way this sort of has panned out in this last year, well, let's, let's just go back to what Magic was for me at a certain time. Magic sets came out. It was a limited product. There was a format we could play in paper. We would play regularly. And then we would take those cards home and we would put them into our collections and we would build constructed decks, build commander decks. And there were multiple modes of engaging with the game that all kind of flowed together. The fact that we were playing limited, collecting, appreciating the art, playing constructed formats, all these things sort of harmonized and worked together in a way that I thought was really cool and productive and kept me engaged in the the same hobby, in the same game, turning just a game into a hobby. Because if I was less focused on any one of those aspects, I could just lean on another that was more interesting to me at a different time. That whole ecosystem, for me, does not exist anymore in the same way. Because... And because I think the big forces are Magic Arena, the fact that digital play has just taken over Paper Magic, and at least in our area playing in a weekly sense, especially in a weekly paper limited format where other people are engaged to the same degree, such that you can kind of have that community engagement and have that community learning about a format over the course of a few months. That no longer exists largely because of Arena. I agree. Just to like clarify, for two reasons. One, a lot of people that might otherwise come out to the local game store to play a retail draft, if that was their only way to play it, are instead just playing at home on Arena. Yep. Or two, people that are going to do both, are now grinding arena drafts at home. And so when they come out on the second week of the limited format and you're drafting the set for the second time, they've drafted it a hundred times and there's just not this same equal like exploration of this new limited format. That, that right. community sense of like we're at the same place relatively is gone because they're engaging with the game in a different way and are just like already... I mean, we've literally had people in our playgroup like express in our like discord that they are burned out on a format like a week after it launches like pre-release two, two days like pre-release happens and then before the next weekend when the first draft would be they're like i'm done with this format i've played it 12 yeah. times and i hate it now and i on one hand i don't want to say we shouldn't have done that like we should put the cat back in the box that's not possible like we have digital magic i mean it's now. not possible it is, but it's we shouldn't have it <laughs> it's great that people have access to playing as much magic as they want uh, but also, yeah, maybe it's not great. Like, technology has real costs, which just, again, in my personal life, I am increasingly becoming aware of the cost of technology and the fact that, yeah, maybe having a little bit of restraint could be very powerful. The other thing... Here's what I would do if I could go back and rewrite history, which we can't, obviously. We can't. I... And again, this is the one episode where we allow ourselves to be negative. I kind of wish Digital Magic wasn't a thing. I wish when they had, like, talked about making a Digital Magic client... They had been like, let's make a new game, a game that is the spirit of magic, but it is digital. And from the beginning, it takes advantage of things you can't do in paper. And it's like a parallel separate thing. And we will use this like 
capital we've amassed with the success of our paper card game to like fund this thing and just make make Hearthstone, right? Like go make a new game that has similar spirits and just like let magic be what magic is. And I know there's a million people out there listening that love playing digital magic. No shade at all, right? Like I totally get it. That for my own like values though, uh, for everything I I play magic because I want to not stare at a goddamn screen anymore. I do that so much in my entire life. And the reason I don't play digital magic is because I don't want to stare at a goddamn screen. And everything from the like pace of releases for, to the way that pre-release feels when people have already been playing the set on Arena to the way cards are designed when they are designed to be both digital and physical to the way that competitive play is handled when you have a digital client. All these things, I think, have suffered because of the success of digital magic. Yeah, but they have made a, a separate game. It's called Magic Arena, and it's it's got separate cards that are a little bit different, and I don't think we should even talk about that, but we both... I, I think... literally actually don't know almost anything about alchemy. I know they have different cards, and I don't yeah. know how yeah. they decide. I don't know anything about it. Whatever. Let's not talk about that. The other huge thing that changed about Magic, and again, I'm, just, I'm not saying... I don't want to make too much of a value judgment, but I want to say how this has affected my experience in a way that has largely been negative, is they've just changed the way that they design and print cards. So it's no longer, here are the few core sets, or you know the few premier sets that come out on a regular basis, and it's infrequent enough people are going to get excited about spoiler season. It just feels like a constant barrage, and... Again, it's about these like couple different components that fit together really well, and it was fun to do a weekly draft, collect some cards. By the time of the end of a set was rolling around, cool. Like, let me go buy a bunch of singles, fill out the rest of my collection for the set. There's just so much going on that collecting is just not fun for me anymore. Oh, yeah. Both because there are so many different sets, but there are so many different versions. It used to be I could at the end of a set sit down and. I'm a little bit, um, what's, how, how neurotic would we say? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're neurotic. I would go and I have, a, my whole collection is indexed, uh, and I would go quickly enter all the new cards I'd collected for the set. Yeah, I think you're sort, very organized. Sort them in a very organized way. Like and now, neurotic would be like if you, like, couldn't sleep because you had a pile of cards that wasn't sorted no, into no, your no, system. No, 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 no. I'm sure my insomnia comes from totally different places. Uh, <laughs> But now it's just like, it's literally so hard to enter the cards. It just yeah. takes so long because there are so many different versions. And then there are things on the list where there's just this tiny little icon. Which, and fucking talk about another thing that... Makes it's, just this, it's just like this, like, uh, what, why do I always forget this word? It's just not fun. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the word you forgot a couple yeah, of weeks ago. I've, Is it that word? It's the same word. What do you call it when your keyboard is really um, ergonomic? Like just the ergonomics <laughs> of. I think, of you did, I think you figured out the word, but the same way both times. Exactly. Look at my look keyboard. At your keyboard. What's go, up with your weird looking keyboard? It it's so er weird, ergonomic. but maybe it's good for your hands. Uh, it's just that it's just not fun to try and like manage all this anymore. So it's like I just have a huge stack of cards on my desk right now that I'm like. I guess I'll get around to catching up on indexing my collection at some point, but honestly, it's just like backs up to the point where now I'm like not even excited about buying more singles because uh, I have this like burden now instead of a uh, exciting process. So this I mean, whole set this... of things that work together just doesn't really work together anymore. And so I'm kind of like, yep, we're playing cube every week and I'm having fun with that. I'm having fun with the community aspects. I'm having fun on these sort of like personal creative projects, but I'm not engaging, honestly, Wizards, if you're listening, I'm not engaging with magic in a way that my wallet is as open as it was a couple years ago. For sure. 100%. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm in the exact same place, too. And talk about a thing that I think is also a byproduct of digital play, at least partially, all the different versions of cards. Like, it's pretty easy to have different versions of cards digitally. I believe that has, like, substantially contributed directly to individual retailers going out of business. Because mm -hmm. they're like, we literally can't 
catalog cards anymore. It is too hard and too much work. Yeah. We saw this year Troll and Toad and Purple Mana, two like relatively big. You know, these are right under the like Channel Fireball, which is also gone. Uh, Star City Games, you know, Card Kingdom tier of like major retailers. There's like TCG Player, which is like the the Amazon of Magic. Then you have like yeah. these couple other really big retailers. Then there's this other like third level, which like Troll and Toad and like Purple Mana have both had both been around for like 20 plus years. Both just be like, and eh, we're we just not we're not doing this anymore. And I think in Troll and Toad's case, they're still selling other trading card yeah. games. They're like still in business. They're just like we literally just can't sell these Magic cards anymore, which I think is partially due to the fact that sorting them is an absolute nightmare. And then getting people that are like, oh, you sent me the wrong version. Now I'm gonna like make you return this. You gotta pay shipping both ways because you didn't realize it had a little Planeswalker symbol in the bottom left hand mm-hmm. corner, or you didn't realize this was the etched old border foil instead of the regular old border foil, or whatever. Like that is a nightmare. Plus, all these other versions of cards, and this is a whole part of this, like, argument that I don't particularly care to engage with, but, like, printing so many cards has absolutely depressed the value of Magic cards on yeah. an individual level, which I don't want to get into. It has, I mean, all these things are individually... It's Ultimately, like, I want the game to be accessible. I want cards to be cheap, so that's yeah. a good thing, and the fact that there are, like, businesses that have built their business on the back of these cards being expensive, I, I went to make a list of cards for a like potential new cube that would be budget focused. And my goal was like no cards more than like a buck or two. And there were so many cards that were in that category that I was shocked to find were in that category. I'm totally out of touch with card prices. Yeah. And then there were other cards. I was like, well, surely this is a buck or two. And then it's actually $50 because I forgot about commander or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if we're honest, this is a kind of uncomfortable topic, but like magic is kind of fun because the cards are expensive. Like it's fun to open up a pack and be like, Oh cool. I opened up a $40 card in this pack. Sweet. And there's lots of ways this is gross. I I would tweak that a little bit and just say that like, it is fun because there are things that are special. Like the game pieces can be special. mm -hmm. And I think more than the overprinting of cards has depressed the value monetarily. I think the overprinting of like special versions and like weird, alt arts and full arts and retro borders and whatever has totally made things just not feel special anymore. It's like every time you open a pack now, there's like four special cards and you're like, okay, well now it's not special. That's not how special works. You can't just do more special and make it feel special still. Like I remember opening like a foil, you know, yeah, a foil rare, you know, in like return to Ravnica when we first started playing and like that felt really cool. And I don't think opening a booster pack has that same feeling anymore. They literally have the special booster pack. That's just full of special cards, which like, the first time I opened a collector's booster, that was a lot of special. That was intense. I I, I find it to be gross. I, I, I I've never Fair. had any joy opening a collector's booster because it, it's literally just like taking everything that was special about that experience. That like idea that hidden somewhere in these packs there are like a few diamonds in the rough. Whether your diamond in the rough definition comes from you know value in USD or whether it comes from you know a special printing of a card that you don't get to see that often or whatever. Now there's just like too many quote-unquote diamonds not enough rough and so there's no diamonds have no value anymore it's like the, yeah i like i i find myself not wanting the new old border shocklands for my cube and if there was ever a product that was designed with like a drawing of me on the target mm-hmm. market whiteboard it was the old border shocklands and i'm just like i just don't like it's not special anymore like yeah <laughs> i mean at this point they even i uh, like when they started doing secret layers I, I bought a number. It was It's a shameful number. But again, I just kind of stopped because... And not just stopped buying them. I stopped, like, picking through what are the ones I wanted. I just, like, couldn't 
I just tuned out. Like, there's just too yep. much. And they even made, uh, what was it? The Princess Bride Secret Lair. And if I had written down what are, you know, the 10 Did they kinda... make a Princess Bride Secret yeah, Lair? Yeah. How'd I even miss? I don't... Exactly. You don't even know. And if I had <sighs> written down what are the 10 things that I would like to have a secret lair for, that probably would have been number... It would have been in the top 10, knowing or you. Or 10. And at this point, it's like, if they made my number one, if they made a Dark Crystal Secret Lair, would I be... I, I'm kind of like, okay, whatever. And it's, it's the thing is, any of these decisions make sense in isolation. It's like, would That's you like problem. to have That's would you like to have magic but digital so it's more accessible? Absolutely. Do you want more special stuff? Absolutely. Do you want increased chance that when you open up a booster pack, you get a special thing? Totally. But when you just the effects that these in, these decisions that make sense in isolation have on the entire system is that the system for me doesn't really work in a way that is fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's generous to say they make sense in isolation. There's a lot of these decisions I wouldn't make even in isolation, personally. But In isolation of, like, you opening that one booster pack, was that more fun because you had more special No, I think, the, I think the sense it makes... I think the context in which it makes sense is, is this going to drive up short-term profits? Yeah. And the answer is yes. Wizards yeah. has grown monetarily, like, just insane amounts over the past couple of years, as they planned. They announced in some you know, the corporate vision thing from like two years ago, their plan to like grow the business by a billion dollars and they like succeeded good for them. And yeah, the result is that this thing that I loved is fractured. And mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's a reason we don't complain about this often or ever, except for maybe one time a year. And I do want to just be clear. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. I'm just I saying am. it doesn't work for me. I'm complaining <laughs> and I'm saying they're doing it wrong. But yes, I mean, there's a lot of people that like love all these things, right? They, yeah. they love all this stuff. And the whole, the line we've gotten fed to us from Wizards' various mouthpieces over the years is that not everything's for you. And it's like, so... You're right. So Turns out. Turns out you're right. And I think they really, really underestimated the cost to which... Making a bunch of things that weren't for a bunch of people would dilute the value of this thing as a whole. Like, I really don't identify as a magic player anymore. Yeah. To be to be perfectly honest, like wow. I've talked. That's to... what that's what my neighbor says about. Never mind. <laughs> Your neighbor says. <laughs> what your neighbor says about what being gay? No, being Christian. <laughs> oh, okay, well. <laughs> It's one of the two. Those are his two key interests. <laughs> It'd be very funny if he was like, yeah, the gays have gotten so wild, I don't identify as gay anymore, even though I am a gay man. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be interesting. Um, no, I, 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 like, I've talked to people outside of a context of magic, like just normal people at like a wedding or whatever, that like, oh, I heard you play magic. And I go, yeah. And they're like, what do you play? And I'm like, I... I nothing you know <laughs> like like we have no common ground like like if you come to me because you think that uh, you know you're a magic player and you want to talk to me chances we have common ground are basically none anymore like you probably play commander yeah I have literally no idea what the commander meta looks like these days I I, I played a game of commander the other night and I don't want to put any disrespect on the other people I was playing with, but just the way the game played out it was just like oh yeah this is why I stopped playing this format yeah for the most part and. Wow, even more so. <laughs> Just so much stuff was happening. But like, yes, they've made the game bigger. They've brought in more people. There's more things that aren't for a lot of the audience. And I think they really underestimated the cost that that would have, which is that like, I remember I used to look forward to spoiler season so much. It was so yes, fun. Absolutely. In the first couple of years when it was like, all right, well, three times a year or maybe four mm-hmm. times a year, we have a week where we are getting you know, a dozen cards spoiled a day, and at the end, they dump them all. Yeah. And now, like, there is a spoiler channel in the Discord that people, like, update dutifully, and it's just a constant yeah. stream. I and mean, it, it is, like... I it truly, is tr- 
dread it. Like, I, I truly like I. My part of the reason I dread it is because like people will expect us to have an opinion about things, which mm-hmm. I'm comfortable just being like, sorry, I don't. Like, if you want me to like weigh in on what I think about the Doctor Who cards, sorry, I literally have not read them. I have no interest in reading them. I'm not going to read them. So. I don't care, and you're not going to get my take on them for Cube because it's not my game. That's not my game. Yeah, yeah, and it, like the thing that is difficult there is you can say most of this is not for you, but the three to four premiere sets are still there. They're still in there for you. You can just opt into only those. But my experience is I can't really like that. Spoiler Channel is going nonstop and putting in the level of effort of flipping the switch of when do I focus and not is is not that's not going to happen. That's not happening for me. It's just. A fire hose that I just can't... I, I don't have the, the right sunglasses to look at this. I mean, yeah, even if you're just trying to pay attention to those, right? Like, there were some Ravnica spoilers recently, and they were completely intermixed with some Clue, like, Universes Beyond Clue product, which yeah. I also don't pay attention to the Universes Beyond announcements, so I didn't even yeah. know this was coming. And then all of a sudden, it's like, why is Colonel Mustard on a Magic card? And is this in the real set? Like, I actually don't know. I just know. don't know. And okay, so let's talk about that next thing. Let's talk about Universes Beyond. Again, a lot of Magic players are really into this. A lot of Magic players find... Many Magic many the Gathering magic players, players say... I love Clue. It's cool to have Clue in my Magic. <laughs> That one, that one I actually think is a terrible example to choose. Who loves Clue? Nobody. It's another Hasbro IP. They're just trying to make any money off of it. people are listening to this saying, I love Clue. No. If you, if okay, you love fine. Clue and you're listening to this, comment below right in because I okay, don't believe you exist. Fine. Let's pick something that I have Lord an affinity for. Doctor Who. <laughs> it, I like Doctor Who. I've okay, well, watched you're, all you're of the reboot don't. seasons. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty solid show. And lots of people will just say, this is just more magic. Enjoy the cards. Pay attention to the, the text on the cards, this is, especially as a cube designer. This is just more opportunity for you to have more cards that you can have an affinity for. That's not entirely why I got into magic. Part of why I got into magic was this consistent vibe and this sort of promise that if you explore the cards, you will learn a little bit about this world that kind of ties them together and you can opt into that world as much as you want but there is going to be some sort of backing thing that you can explore in here and it is you know a creative product it is a beautiful work of art that a lot of people have contributed to making this world that provides the background for this game i think that's a really valuable promise even if you don't dig into that background very heavily it still makes it a really compelling work of art the fact that I, I really actually like how Brian Allen on Color of Magic described this as sort of in Fortnite, there's no longer any world. There's just this pop culture slurry. And increasingly, we're getting this pop culture slurry in Magic. And some people might love that. They love just swimming around in the pop culture slurry. And if they can dive in and find familiar things in a new game, that might work for them. For me, I'm just like, no, you've, you no longer have given me the promise of if I explore this, I will discover a beautiful work of art that I can immerse myself in to whatever degree I'm interested in. I'm just, the promise is you're going to get the muck that you're going to get the same slop you get everywhere else. And that just, again, for me, that does nothing. That just makes this whole thing much less compelling. Even if that possibility for those beautiful, well-crafted worlds is still in there, if you're putting it on me to separate out where the edges of that is, I'm just not going to get the same experience from it. It's just not going to do it for me. And when it comes to the universes beyond stuff specifically, you've said this, which I think is very prescient, which is that there's a big difference between universes beyond Lord of the Rings, for example, where like Lord of the Rings, by all measures, is like a foundational fiction that Dungeons and Dragons and originally magic like built upon. Right. And it feels like in fiction, it's not a I mean, there's literally an organization like whatever nonprofit that owns the IP that like manages it. But like the 
collaboration feels like it was in the spirit of like making something that fits within magic and like is part of this world. Clue or Transformers or the battle bus from Fortnite or whatever, right? Like that is a blatant cash grab. Like it's a, it's a, there's no like justification to that other than like, well, maybe theoretically some like eight year old that plays Fortnite will see the battle bus on the cover of a pack of cards at, I guess you don't even see Secret Lair. It's a target. I don't even know how they expect this to work. I don't know how they expect anybody. <laughs> it's just is... more pop culture slurry that they know people will slop up. <laughs> Another part of this H-Bomber Guy video was chronicling the change in a particular series over time, which was the series called Cinemassacre, which was made by this YouTube guy that in the very, very early days of YouTube, just one guy made this series where every day for October, he made a little video about some monster or some like, you know, horror movie and like the horror genre that was like beloved in this like horror world community. And as YouTube grew and his channel grew, he just, you know, line go up and just basically like started partnering with like a third party, like content mill that would like help him write scripts and produce the videos and like do it all more efficiently. And just the quality became terrible and it became absolute shit. And that, I think, as we've mentioned, is like the natural grain of the incentive structures of the world we live in, right? If you do not actively resist it in the way that like Harris does or some other people choose to do, that's the direction you will end up going. And that's absolutely the direction I see magic going. Like you have completely underestimated any of the value of magic as an IP, like of the value of the worlds you've created, because now you're just slopping them in, like you said, next to the battle bus from Fortnite, which... How much creative energy do you think went into like coming up with the like lore from Fortnite compared to the amount of world building you have paid professional writers and creative people to do over the years? There's no better way to disrespect that work than just to like print them alongside each other. I also think it underestimates what magic meant as a community because I, I think a big part of the reason that we have spent so much time to like grow our little cube community and like focus on a specific format and a specific day and playing magic a specific way is again because I can't just go to the LGS run by your friends and just play magic on a random day now. As I go and the third doctor is crewing the battle bus and I'm like, I don't know what's going on <laughs> and this is not for me. Like everything about this is like is pushing me away. And like, yeah, you've said over the years, Mark Rosewater, that not there are products for you and you're right. So many products are not for me now that like I truly feel like the game of magic is only tangentially for me. Like, I feel like we are doing a little like punk rock, try and like make our own little zine, like remixing this pop culture, which we are cynical of. Uh, yeah. And that's what Cube has become. And I'm grateful to Cube specifically for allowing us to still have the community that I wanted to have, right? Like, if you rewind six years and be like, your friends are going to open a game store in your neighborhood where you can just go anytime you want to play Magic, that would be the dream. I could never have imagined what magic was going to become and that I just wouldn't want to do that. I just, I wouldn't want to. And I am about as enfranchised. They in still have beer and pizza. So like I can, I can play a commander game if I'm going to have some beer and pizza. Sure. But I mean, for as enfranchised of a magic player as I am, the degree to which I just don't feel like this stuff is for me anymore. It's, it's depressing. And I, and it feels like it is squarely because of making line go up, which is exactly why they fired 1100 people right before the holidays. Like that is the, reason for all of this. It's not because they're trying to make better decisions for the long-term health of magic or they have a vision for what they want magic to be. There's just there's just not a creative vision that includes like cloud strife from Final Fantasy chopping the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Jurassic Park in half. Like that is it's a blatant cash grab in the same way that Cinemassacre was like I've got a successful thing and it all comes down to this like fallacy that like 
participation in it means that it's good and more participation is just better, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no qualitative value applied to the nature of interaction with the game. It is just purely, we sold more product. So how could you be mad? Like, if you don't like it, don't buy it. And it's like, that's just, there's no attention given to like how I'm actually engaging with the game. And I think given that you and I feel this way, there's probably hundreds of thousands of other Dozens people. Dozens of us. I mean, I think there's more people that are in like the the rise of the success of like pre-modern, right? A ton of people that I think are just like, yeah, I don't want to play the new game anymore. And even though I was fine with maybe the last 15 years of Magic history, the past like, five years have been insane. Pitch cards was rough. Planeswalkers, oof. I don't know. I think that in the same way that people took something that was a flaw of the game in that you didn't actually have tokens that were included in the packs and they made it something creative. I think that's what cube and what pre-modern are. It's people that like, we love this game and there is now a huge flaw in it, which is that the game has no cogent identity anymore. It has no cogent community, no cogent identity. And so we are just left trying to like sort through the scraps and try and like make something for ourselves that conforms with our values in the absence of a set of values overall of the game that we can possibly stand behind. I mean, I do want to question a little bit what you're saying about short-term gains and just just giving up on on long-term plan that this might just work. I mean, people love the the Pop-Tarts or the the Hot Pockets magic crossover and soon we'll have I the, forgot there was the IHOP and the stupid the IHOP oh and soon we're I, I I think we're so close to actually having a literal Pringles X magic and you get a secret layer with a bunch of curled foils. Like I think we're really close to that level of what I would call depravity, but people love this stuff, right? But people do not love it in the same way. This is my point. There's, you have to okay. have like some sense of qualitative analysis or like qualitative perspective on like in what way are people loving our game, and not in the way that it is going to be. Their they they have no way to measure. To. I mean, they do like a survey or whatever, but like they are not measuring that in a meaningful way because all of their decisions are clearly prioritizing. Like, yeah, people are going to buy it if you put the Pringles X Magic crossover like. People will buy that as a lark. People buy that because they were going to buy Pringles already. And isn't it funny to also get some magic cards or whatever? Like, it will sell. Sure. And if the Cinemasker guy keeps making these, like, awful, like, you know, half-assed videos on his channel that has 10 million subscribers, people are going to watch them because they're there. And it's hard as a, like, consumer to constantly be vigilant and, like curating your like sources of information and your sources of product right some people are just like i'm a magic player i buy yeah. magic stuff i don't really think about it anymore i mean what I, what part of what i'm getting at is i think that you and i are maybe unique in our sort of aesthetic reaction to marketing and you know when i saw nascar as a kid and i'm just like what are all these goddamn logos all over every inch of clothing and car like this sucks like this is this is me as like a 12 year old baby i'm just like this is gross or we go to a baseball game which i probably wouldn't do anyway but it's it's at the mnt bank stadium and it's like that's just gross like can it be called just like the cool baltimore stadium can it be not something that is just well, a celebration it's not the best example because the baseball team here plays at camden yards mnt bank stadium is the football club see see this is exactly what i'm talking about, about but camden, camden, camden yards camden yards is like a historical camden yards it's a great name that, it's just yeah. its own thing or you know the crypto.com arena the <laughs> staples center it's just like to me this is an aesthetic thing that i just it really turns me off and i get that a lot of people are just like nah pop tarts with with jace on the on the box like that's cool as hell and people are into that that's fine i don't know i don't think it's fine <laughs> i think people, okay. i think people okay. should strive to be better yeah i don't know um people just, <laughs> But isn't that, like, kind of super privileged? I mean, in some degree, sure. I, I I think it benefits everybody to be conscious of the ways in which they are continuously being 
exploited yes, that's, as a consumer. That's actually maybe the, the that's, thing that that's I really the sense appreciate I mean, is be better. <laughs> I recognize in myself tendencies to brand loyalty, and a lot of people just celebrate that. I feel like I need to push against that. If I feel a little bit of brand loyalty, I'm like, no, that's me being had. I need to stop doing this. And I know that if I, again, if I were to order, a, a I don't know, a rum and Coke at a bar and they were like, well, we got Pepsi and Coke, I would probably be like, eh, no thanks. So I know I'm a victim, but this is a, this is a problem. Like brand loyalty is something crappy. Uh, I don't know about, I mean, this comes back to my whole like, I think we live been, in this... I've been, I've been trying to get that Mitch Hedberg joke about Tide in here somewhere, and I'm just not quite finding out. A... <laughs> I want to be a race car passenger. <laughs> just a guy who bugs the driver. Say, man, can I turn on the radio? You should slow down. Well, we got to keep going in circles. Man, you really like Tide. I, I think we live in this world that is so fractured that you can have both, where before it was kind of hard to have both. I hate buying crap. There's few things that will give me like more existential dread than like, oh, we need a hose reel. And if you go to Home Depot or you go on Amazon or you go whatever and you try and buy a hose reel, All every right, hose tell reel. Tell us about your great hose reel. Look, I mean, this is, this is my point though. Like, the hose reels that you will find with the most reviews on Amazon mm-hmm. or that you will find in the aisle at Home Depot are pound for pound compared to 20 or 40 or 60 years ago, like absolute dog shit. They are crap. They are made to look nice on a shelf and work for like two months and then just fucking break. And that's the world we live in. That is the incentive structure we live in has resulted in the vast, vast, vast majority of products being that for everything. I am so haunted by the idea of like me buying a hose reel, it breaking, and then it just like sitting in a fucking landfill for the rest of my entire life, like not decaying because it's all made of plastic. Like that, that gives me so much existential dread. We should spend a lot less effort talking about plastic drinking straws and a lot more on planned out obsolescence because it has a much, much bigger impact on overall waste. Yeah, but there's not like a sad picture of a turtle with planned obsolescence (laughs) shot in his face. (laughs) This turtle is drowning in old iPhones. Save (laughs) this turtle. That gives me so much dread that I am willing to spend a huge amount of my personal time and also a stupid amount of money sometimes to find a thing that is well made. But those things do exist in this world still. So like there's a dumb hose reel company, Ellie, E-L-E-Y. If you're looking to buy a hose or a hose Not reel. Not dumb, it's the best hose. Look, if you're looking to buy a hose or a hose reel, like you should buy it from this company because it will last forever. And it's not like fancy. You don't look at it and go like, oh, it's all like solid brass mm-hmm. and like, you know, whatever. It doesn't look nice. It's just a hose reel that doesn't break. And I had a small part on mine. It's like the dinner at per se of hose reels. No, it's not. It's the opposite. <laughs> I had a small part on mine fail and I like emailed the company and they didn't even respond to my email. They just the same day mailed a replacement part. But the replacement part had been redesigned to fix the flaw so that it wouldn't fail in the same way again. And... They just didn't, no, no charge, like there's no, it was just, they just sent me the new part, right? And it was a small part that they sent me, a small part, not a whole replacement hose reel, because mm-hmm. it was actually designed to like work in components where you can like replace individual pieces if this, they fail. This doesn't sound like a thing that would happen in 2023. But here's the thing, because there are enough people that are like me at least, that are haunted, and I can't imagine why it, anybody else would buy a hose reel from this company other than having a similar neuroses that I have. That or they just have a lot of money and they're like, yeah, get the most expensive one. 
but even then, like, it's hard to find this one. It's mm. it's not on all the same marketplaces as the other one. And I'm sure there's some expensive one that just looks fancy and is also a piece of crap. It has but, a crystal skull in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, who knows? Something like that. There's a lot of things like that. And so, like, in that sense, like, brand loyalty, I think, makes sense. Like, your brand is that you actually make a product that doesn't suck ass and in a world where everything sucks ass. Yeah, I think that's different than brand loyalty. I think that's more like brand respect or brand <laughs> education not just like yes i am i hop over waffle house and this, not is, f- this is my identity right i'm not like a fanboy of this company mm-hmm. it's just like okay because you, you do sound like it i mean they you love that hose it's a really good hose i'm not gonna lie <laughs> I, I see that in everything i see that like 95 percent of everything is shit and there's a small wow, part of sturgeon's law really getting getting a bump here <laughs> I, I i mean that's just true of everything like you look at the videos on youtube you look at products on you can buy in the marketplace like 95 percent of everything is horseshit and it is the result of the incentive structures that we have set up in our society to value the things that it values and this is the result of that but there are enough people out there that care that you have some nice products that are made to last you have some H-bomber guys that are making the kind of art they want to make and walking away from big piles of money he could have if he just started churning out videos, just choosing, no, I don't want big piles of money because that would sacrifice my artistic integrity. And we should have no expectation societally that en masse people will do that because they will not. Like the bell curve of people will not do that. But the H-bomber guys can do that. There's enough of those things that like that part of the world does exist. And for a part of my life, I felt like if you looked at the world of entertainment, of how you could spend your time, that magic was one of those little things. It was like, yeah, you could play video games, you could do whatever you want to do for entertainment, you could get like really deep in something, or you could play magic. And magic is like the small thing that is still making printed paper trading cards, that is still doing this thing that is like kind of anachronistic and old-fashioned, and it felt like magic was part of that. And now it feels like magic is not part of that anymore. Magic has just become one of the bad things, but part of the 95% of like shit that is the result of corporate investor-backed line-go-up mentality. And I'm still here because I still love the game and I'll still be trying to carve out my little corner of it. But no longer does it feel like magic as a game is part of that 5% of things that is made with care and attention that is actually good. I don't know how I follow that up. So what's your card of the year, (laughs) Anthony? So I've been looking at... uh, um we were talking about Feast of the Seven Fishes, so uh, I, w- I just I fell into a Wikipedia rabbit hole about the collapse of the Atlantic Northwest cod fishery. Which, <laughs> look, you tell me to research a recipe, I'm going to end up here. And I thought it was really, really funny that, so there's this massive cod fishery, like tremendously productive waters for decades and decades were being farmed. And at some point, the technology just really ramped up, like big, incredible new boats that could haul in so many new fish. And so the people that were doing the policy to manage how do you regulate how much fish we should be able to reel in were like, the population's doing incredible. There are so many fish in these waters. Look at how much more fish we're catching. Line go up. The line was going up. So they were like, well, let's catch more fish if the population is this healthy. Turns out they were only catching more fish because the technology had gotten so much better. And they literally caught all of the fish. And the line was just going up. And then it just drops because there's just no more fish left. And I can totally see. I mean, that's just such a funny, like, misreading of information. Ha, so funny. That is so <laughs> obvious when you look back on it. It's like, yeah, the, the thing that you thought this line was going up because the population is increasing is just not at all true. And I, I could easily see this happening with things like Secret Lair, where it's like, oh, look, we sold with these. magic as we a whole. We made more money. Like, the number of the amount of money that is available here must be increasing because we're making more money. And I, I could see this narrative play out where suddenly 
they just they got all the money. <laughs> There's no more willingness to participate anymore, and it could just collapse like the I mean, I, Atlantic I, Northwest cod fishery. I do genuinely think that they have made a lot of choices that have increased the raw number of people that buy any magic product at the sacrifice of people like us that were extremely invested in the like long-term health of the game, and I'm just not anymore. I, I think that that exact same mentality is exactly what is at the root of all the decisions that Wizards has made over the years. I mean, I gotta show you this graph. It just like yeah, bottoms out. Yeah, it's incredible. You caught them all, and they're I mean, and the, they're fucked. I mean, what? See, <laughs> so look, I mean, like they do all this. They do all these surveys, right? Like for anybody that gets into playing Magic, they they generally play for this many months on average, right? And at some point, like what they will have done, I think, is alienated all the people that played Magic for twenty plus years. In the sense that there's people who are still playing Magic. They're just playing Magic with the cards they already had, and they're not paying attention to any new product. They're not giving Wizards any new money, which is pretty close to where we are. Like, I participate in pre-release, and I buy, like, a couple singles for my cubes generally each set, but, like, nothing compared to what I used to yeah, do. Yeah, I'm no was- longer buying a draft once a week, plus a box of every set, plus uh, singles to enhance my commander decks every two months. Yeah, I'm just not doing that anymore either. And what replaced us in that graph, because like wizard sales have just continued to go up, what has replaced us, I don't think, is four people that are spending the same way we were spending. I think it's 12 people that are going to buy booster packs for a month and a half and like have a little dalliance with the game and then be done with it. And I think what we're seeing right now is this like churn, where they're churning through all of those people that maybe are never going to be super deeply invested, but we, they can suck a certain amount of money out of it for a certain amount of time before they like move on and just don't care about the game anymore. And eventually they're going to run out of those people, and then they're going to turn around and look back, and we're also going to be gone. And then what? And I want to acknowledge that, like, it is a trope of invested Magic players to be like, X thing happened, this is the death of Magic, and that's stupid. I'm very critical of that. At least and that- yet. <laughs> no, I, I, and yet, these four things happened in Magic, and these together have changed how we engage. Well, all I was going to say is that I, I'm very critical of that as, like, a clickbaity way to get people to pay attention to your stupid video or whatever to suggest that every new thing is the death of magic at some point we're gonna be right (laughs) 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 magic is i mean overall the community is like you know the the community of boomers is like the boy who cried wolf but someday that wolf's gonna be there gonna come someday that wolf's gonna be there and uh you know i i don't know when but uh i feel it way more this year than i did last year or the year before like it just feels like i'm so distant from what this game is and also it's just not that important to me anymore like cube is really important to me i like these as game pieces i like the community we've built around cube i don't even know what the magic community is anymore i don't not sure that i'm even really as much of a part of it anyway i think my cube card of the year is like maybe universe is beyond card look at that uh honorary carrying over it's got it's got um unearthed so it came back for special edition 2023 Check out because it was it came out last year, right? Yeah, I thought it came out this year. I was gonna uh, mm, uh, card of the year. Oh, check him out. He's got a little adventure. He makes food. He's a cute Look little pig go. in a fairy circle. I like that. Hi, it's Andy from the editing booth here. I really considered not explaining this because part of me likes to troll all of you, but I got to the end of the edit here and realized that we didn't mention a single magic card by name throughout the entire episode, and so I thought it would be funny if I just censored out the few cards we mentioned right at the end, so there's no cards mentioned in the entire episode. I also just think it's aesthetically funny to have an episode where we're swearing a whole bunch, but I bleep out magic card names, 
So there's a little behind the scenes for you. Uh, that's why I censored those card names. But I bet you can figure it out from context clues. I believe in you. I was shocked how few cards have fairy circles on them in Magic. I've, I've, I sometimes... Is it like a thing that some people think is satanic? No, I think everybody thinks it's delightful. Just a little circle of mushrooms. Happens naturally. Not magic, but fun. Yeah, I just some people are weird. Maybe they think it's a demonic or satanic thing, and then they put it on cards. People get letters. What? What is this? The the eighties? Anyway, I'm on that box show. <laughs> I guess we should say, you know, despite all of the uh, doom and gloom on this episode, like uh, we still love making this show. Still love designing and playing cube. Uh, we're not gonna stop doing our thing anytime soon. So uh, tune in next year, I guess. We already recorded our holiday special for next week, which is a a decidedly different tone. So if you want some more fun nonsense that uh, is not so negative, tune in next week on Christmas Day for our special holiday episode. What are we going to do after that? Well, we've got a couple weeks to decide. Okay. Anyway, all our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All of the magic cards, and I mean all of them, are produced by Wizards of the Coast. The show is produced by Anthony and I thinking really hard about magic cards and speaking into microphones about it. Another year, come and gone. They didn't even put Sapperlings in Lost Caverns of Ixalan. They're cards that reference Sapperlings, but every card that would make Sapperlings makes funguses. Yeah. I mean, this is another one of those things where it's like, there was this weird little lore of, why do funguses make this funny-sounding little creature, and then it makes it harder to batch things because it's two different types of creatures, so you can't really reference them together. And in a lot of ways, it is clunky, but it was something that I thought was really special and cool. I filled out the uh, the podcast, the Powerful Nothing, that other Cube podcasts uh-huh. are mostly magic. They talk about at least mostly Cube. They did a survey for like, what was your favorite stuff from the end of the year that I filled out on Google Forms? And one of the ones was, what was your mechanic of the year? And they listed all the new mechanics this year. And I was like, holy shit, I hate all these mechanics. <laughs> like literally my favorite one was Incubate, which... I would say in the grand scheme of all mechanics is like a D plus mechanic for me. And that was my favorite of the year by far. I do like 